Today we'll begin talking about the matter of what are we going to do so that we can live without suffering, without dukkha. If there's no suffering, no misery in your lives, then there's nothing for us to talk about. The Buddha taught only about dukkha or misery, suffering, pain, and the quenching of suffering. So anyone who doesn't have this, this difficulty of suffering, then there's, there's nothing to talk about. But if in your life there is any, any suffering, any pain, then we have, we have something to talk about. And so we'll be speaking about, about dukkha, both in the aspect of, of personal suffering and then in the aspect of general dissatisfactoriness, unsatisfactoriness that's all around. This is what we'll talk about today. Something that we should know further is the question of who or what suffers. Who is it or what is it that suffers. In Buddhism, it's a very fundamental tenet that there is no such thing as a soul, an ego, a self, or anything of that sort. There's just mind, consciousness, and this body complete with the nervous system. And together this mind and body can do all kinds of strange and wonderful things. It's only our ignorance that mistakes this, that, that sees an ego, a self or a soul in all of this, this activity. There's just the body and the mind. And it's this mind, no self or soul, but just the mind which suffers. And then you must know further that because these two things work together, it's really one single thing. We can talk about body-mind, mind-body, but really it's just one thing. Without a body, the mind can't do anything. And without mind, the body is absolutely worthless. So it's only by the two working together that we've got anything worthwhile. And so it's really just one thing. It's this one thing working that does everything, but through, the, through ignorance we, we take part of it to be a self or soul, although there's really no such, no such thing. The next thing we need to know is that the pure mind, the natural pure mind, does not suffer. There is no misery, misery or pain in the natural mind in this pure mind. But when, when something new arises, a, a new concoction we call the defilement, the gilesa, that is how suffering occurs. The original mind, the, the primal, natural mind, doesn't suffer, has no suffering. But only when these new things, these defilements come up, only then does does suffering occur? 
ordinarily suffer uh, the defilements are coming up all the time, all over the place. And so we study Dhamma in order to know how to not let the defilements occur. And when there's no defilements coming up, then there's no suffering, no dukkha. And that's all there is to know. So then it's necessary to, to know and understand three things. Know what the jitta, the mind is. Know what mind is. And then know what these defilements are and how they arise. And then know what dukkha is and how, how dukkha, suffering, misery occurs because of the defilements. We, this is what we need to understand, these three things. As far as that, that self or soul that, that some people talk about, it's just a kind of ignorant thinking. It's just a kind of stupidity that mistakes things to be a self or a soul. But all you need to, that all that's taking place and all you need to know is just this mind and then how the defilements happen and then how suffering grows or comes out of those defilements. Just these three things, the mind, the gilesa defilements, and dukkha, suffering, misery. The pure mind, the original natural mind, is something that can be observed, but we never bother to pay attention to it. We never bother, never bother to, to, to be aware of it. The, the defilements are things that we don't pay much attention to either. Instead, we, we're satisfied by them. We take pleasure in them. We indulge in them rather than being satisfied with that pure natural mind. These are the two things we need to, to observe and see the difference between them, the pure mind and then the defilements that, that arise. This pure mind is occurring, and so you can, you can learn about it, although it doesn't happen so often. The defilements are coming up quite, quite a bit, and so it's, you have to look between all those defilements to see the, the pure mind. But once we begin to notice and observe the, the natural, original mind, then we can learn how to maintain that state of mind to preserve it, protect it. And this is what the Dhamma is for, to help us to protect, to maintain the pure original state of mind that is free of the defilements. So now let's examine the question of how do the gilesa arise? How do the defilements come up? To put it as briefly and simply as possible, it works like this. The mind is, take the mind now that is void, that is free, the natural, the natural mind. And then there is this body with eyes, ears, nose, tongue, the physical sense and the, or the tangible sense and the mind sense, this body with the six, six sense doors. And then these six senses are able to receive stimuli from outside to receive sen external sense objects, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, 
touches and mental stimuli. So these external objects make contact with the these internal senses. Let's take the example of the eyes specifically to see what happens. So there's the eye sense and then the a sight, an object of the eye. When the two come to make come together, there arises eye consciousness. Eye consciousness, a fundamental mental knowing of that that interaction, that that vision. These three, when these three come together, eye, sight, and eye consciousness, we call that patsa, patsa, or contact. In this case, eye contact. Now this is the crucial point. At this moment of contact, of the basic sense experience, if there is mindfulness and wisdom present, then no defilement arises. If, if it's mindful and wise, no defilement arises. But if mindfulness and wisdom are lacking, then defilement occurs. Put briefly, this is the crux of, of the matter. If that patsa, that contact, lacks mindfulness and wisdom, then it's foolish contact or stupid contact. If the contact is foolish, then there arises foolish feeling. Feeling is a natural... Contact always gives birth to feeling. But if that contact is foolish, is stupid, then everything that comes from it will also be foolish. And so the feelings that arise towards foolish contact are, are stupid feelings. There, there's no mindfulness and wisdom regarding these feelings. And then if this happens, those feelings give birth to, to the defilements. If it's a, a nice feeling, a lovely feeling, then this gives birth to, to loving that feeling, wanting it, liking it, desiring it. If the feeling is, is unpleasant, unattractive, then this gives rise to dislike, to hatred and anger. If the feeling is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, then the mind gets confused, it doesn't know how to react, it, it wonders, it, it's uncertain. And this is a third kind of defilement. This is what we need to, to observe, how if the original contact is stupid, there arises stupid feeling, which gives birth to the defilements. It works just like this. This is something that is of great importance for us to observe and understand so that we can deal with this situation properly. If, if the feeling is foolish, then it gives rise to defilement what we call dhanha, or craving. If there's this foolish feeling, then there arises this foolish desire that we call dhanha, craving. This craving can take various forms, various defiled forms. If the feeling is, is pleasant, attractive, then this can give rise to craving in the forms of, of greed, lopa, 
and lust, raka. If the feeling is is unpleasant, it can give rise to defilements in craving in the form of of tosa, hatred, and kota, anger. If the feeling is is neither attractive or repulsive, pleasant or unpleasant, or if it's kind of all mixed up, we can't sort out whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or there's both mingled together, then the mind gets confused. This leads to the defilements of moha, of delusion, of infatuation, of getting lost in, in, in the thing. So there are these three kinds of defilement arising due to the different kinds of feelings that come from ignorant contact. If it's a pleasant feeling, there arises a, a positive reaction, which is this, this greed or lust that pulls in, that's a, a pulling in of things. And then if it's an, an unpleasant feeling, it leads to the negative kind of defilement, which is a pushing away, a, a knocking away, that is like hatred and anger. But if there's this mixed up kind of feeling, not sure whether it's positive or negative, can't really make it out, then the mind is confused and it, it runs in deluded circles, infatuated with that experience but not knowing what to do. These are the three kinds of, of defilement, three aspects of craving which occur if there's no mindfulness in wisdom. If because of ignorant contact it's gotten to the point where there are these different kinds of defiled reactions, then it, it goes even further. If there arises this feelings of, of, of love, of greed, of lust, if this, is going on, this reaction is going on in the mind, then there arises a further illusion, the illusion of of then something that, that loves, that is greedy. So if there's greed arises in the mind, then the mind takes this, assumes that there must be a greedy one, something which is the owner of that greed or the one who is greedy, the lustful one. If it's the negative kind of reaction of, of anger, of hatred, of wanting to destroy, to get rid of, to kill, then there arises the illusion. This is a feeling in the mind, but it's pure illusion. It has no basis in reality. And this illusion takes it there to be some someone who is angry, the angry one or the hating one, the, the owner, the possessor of this anger and hatred. And if the, the reaction is one of confusion, of of uncertainty, of infatuation, of delusion. Then the mind regards that there must be the, the one who's confused, the I, the, the ego that is confused, that is deluded. And so from these three kinds of the positive, negative, and confused reactions of the mind, there arises what we call upadana. Upadana, the sense of of an eye, 
the sense of mind involved in these in these reactions that there must be there must be someone who is who is greedy or angry or confused this arises this leads to what we call upadana or clinging in short there are three three basic kinds of defilement there's the greedy lustful kind which is a a pulling in a sucking in of experiences the second kind is the anger hatred kind which is a pushing away a a trying to destroy and kill a negative kind of defilement and then the third the third kind is the of confusion and delusion where the it's like the mind running in circles around the the object of experience there are these three kinds of defilement when these arise in the mind then well <clears throat> the mind that was once peaceful still pure natural now is taken over by these these kinds of defilement where the mind was once free now it is forced to react in these three kinds of ways sometimes pulling in sometimes pushing away sometimes running around in in confused circles this this is what suffering is about this is dukkha the mind that was once free and light is now forced on to do this heavy burden this work of pulling in pushing away and running in circles is is very heavy work it's a real burden on the mind and so this is how dukkha arises or from having the mind that is has become trapped into these react into these reactions having to do the heavy work of pushing away or of pulling in pushing away and running in circles this the heaviness of it the burden sameness of it this is this is dukkha misery when the mind is pulling or pushing or running in circles it becomes it's hot the mind is heated up by these these reactions so when there's the the pulling in kind of reaction the greedy lustful reaction that's a fire we call it the fire of lust and or in the negative kind the pushing away that's another kind of fire we call it the fire of hatred and then that running around in circles that's another kind of fire we call it the fire of delusion these are the three kinds of fires that that burn the mind the first the fire that comes from raka or lust we say that this is the the wet fire the soaking fire when when lust arises it burns the mind but it's a kind of burning that we enjoy we like it it pulls it in it pulls us in it entices us we get infatuated with it we indulge this loving and and lusting and so we and all the time that it's burning the mind we we consider it enjoyable and and good fun this is what we call the the wet fire the soaking wet fire of lust try to to know this as well as you can because 
try and know this as well as you can every time that this this feeling takes over the mind the second kind the the negative pushing away of anger and hatred we call this the dry fire or the parched the parched fire with this anger and hatred at first there's something hasty about it when anger first arises there's something seductive and delicious about it at first it's sweet but then it very it then the flames start to shoot up it starts to scorch and boil and then it that sweetness very quickly becomes bitterness a very a very disgusting bitterness and so we call this second fire the the dry fire the fire that burns and boils and roasts the mind the fire of of hatred you should you need to try and understand this observe it become familiar with it every time it takes over the mind the third fire that is the fire of delusion we call this the the fire of darkness the dark fire when this with this fire there arises this delusion this confusion not what knowing what to do it's it it's becomes fear worry anxiety envy all kinds of foolishness and stupidity and then all these kinds of delusion lead lead us to make many mistakes and all these mistakes get us further and further into trouble and this delusion also leads to the other kinds of fires the the soaking wet fire of lust and the dry fire of hatred and so get to know this fire this dark fire whenever it it takes over the mind whether we call them the the wet fire or the dry fire or the dark fire all of them scorch the mind they're all burning hot look for yourself whenever whenever love and lust <clears throat> come up in the mind how does that burn and scorch when the when anger and hatred come up in the mind how does that burn and scorch you can feel this for yourself <clears throat> know it for yourself and when the dark fire of delusion comes into the mind how does that burn and scorch and incinerate when you when this stupidity takes over the mind when you want to do something and you can't do it how does that burn and and simmer and bake all these kinds of fires the dark the wet the dry and the dark fires all of them are burning you can you can understand this by experiencing by observing your your own experiences of these fires that <clears throat> the pure natural mind doesn't suffer at all but when there's ignorance no mindfulness at in wisdom at contact <clears throat> then these defilements arise these defilements come in and and burn the mind this burning of the mind that arises because of ignorance this is this is dukkha this is suffering suffering doesn't occur due to to any other cause it happens because of the mind's own ignorance originally the mind was was cool free and at peace 
but because of its wrong understanding, its foolishness, its stupidity, it, it gives birth to foolish feelings and foolish, these crazy defilements. And this burns and tortures the mind. This, this is how dukkha, suffering, misery arises within us. It doesn't happen because of, of God. God doesn't make us, make us suffer. So you can't go and blame God for your suffering or you can't pawn off your sins on, on God. It's happening through our, our own ignorance. And so rather than blame it on God, why not look inside and see what's really responsible for this and then set about trying to straighten the, this situation out. God doesn't cause these defilements. God doesn't, doesn't cause this burning. These defilements come out of our own, our own stupidity. The burning happens because of our own foolishness. When, when there is foolish sense contact and then stupid feelings, these defilements, these fires occur. They happen because of our own stupidity. So you can't, you can't go and blame it on God. We, we bring these, this burning upon ourselves. So then why go ask God to help us? If it's not God's fault, if God isn't causing the problem, then what good does it do to go and ask God for help? If the problem is happening within because of our own stupidity at, at contact with the, our own foolishness regarding the feelings, then shouldn't we come and try and solve the, the problem within ourselves rather than asking for someone else to help us? If the problem, if the ignorance is inside, then we've got to straighten it out in here to understand how this works to, so that when there's contact, instead of there being ignorance and foolishness, mm -hmm. we can replace that ignorance with wisdom. So this is why we study Dhamma, not to ask someone else to help us, but through our own study and experience to develop the wisdom of Dhamma so that then none of these problems, none of these fires will, will, will flare up and burn the mind and make it suffer. This is why we study Dhamma, to help ourselves. We suffer we suffer because of our own stupid, stupidity bringing up the defilements. If there wasn't any stupidity, the defilements wouldn't arise and we wouldn't, we wouldn't suffer. So if we can put out this stupidity, then there won't be any of the defilements and we won't suffer, we won't experience dukkha or misery. Now, if, if God can help us to, so anything, excuse me, anything that helps us to put out that ignorance, to extinguish that ignorance, that will help to free us from suffering. If God can help us to put out the ignorance and put out the fires of defilement, then that will help us to quench suffering. But if if the real cause is in our own ignorance, why not deal with that ignorance directly? Learn to eliminate 
that ignorance so that the defilements don't cause any more pain and suffering. The Dhamma. Dhamma is what we call the thing that will eliminate, that will help us to get rid of that ignorance. When we come to Suanmok, we come solely to, to study the Dhamma, to study it and learn how to put it into practice so that that Dhamma will help us to eliminate, to quench all stupidity and ignorance so that the defilements no longer burn and torture the mind. You can, you can ask God or someone else for help if you want, but why not just deal with our own ignorance, which is the real cause of all our suffering. And Dhamma, Dhamma is the thing which will help us to do that. Because of our, the mistakes we make, because of our own stupidity, this is what causes sin. Sin is the product of the mistakes that we make because of our, our foolishness. All sin, all defilement just comes from our own mistakes because we don't understand correctly. And so if to get rid of, to get rid of sin, all we have to do is get rid of this ignorance which is the cause of all sin. There's no need to go and pester God or bother God to come and help us. We can just deal with this problem on our own without making any trouble for God. And so learn to, to get rid of this, this ignorance, which is the cause of, of defilements and all the mistakes we make, and then all sin. And then there won't be any suffering. Satan, the worst, most enormous Satan that exists, is our own ignorance. Our own foolishness is the real meaning of, of Satan. If we can eliminate and destroy this, this foolishness, this ignorance, then that's the same as killing Satan, and then there are no more problems. If we can kill Satan, then every time that there is sense contact, any time they're seeing, hearing, smelling, and so on, then there's no ignorance. And so the defilements don't arise and there's no suffering. So just kill this Satan, and that will end all the problems. This, this matter of, of contact and feelings, it works the same way for, for all the senses. The way that it, we just described it, how it works for the eyes, for the ears, nose, tongue, body sense, and mind sense, it works in just the same way. The way that contact and feeling operate, and whether there's, there's mindfulness and wisdom or ignorance at that moment of contact and while, while feeling, it works exactly the same way. So though we've only described it in terms of the eye sense, you can understand how it works for, for all the other senses. And the essence is that if we're stupid at contact, then there will be stupid feelings, defilement, and suffering. So don't be stupid at contact. Learn, learn to be mindful and aware 
learn to bring wisdom to that contact. That's, that's what we need to know. The fact that, that at patsa, at contact, the mind isn't stupid and doesn't let any defilements arise, this fact we call atamayata, atamayata. This is a, a word that hasn't been discussed very much in Buddhism, but it's a very special and powerful word. So even if you, you've never heard it before, or even if you don't understand it yet, please try and remember it so that you'll, you'll learn its meaning eventually. Atamayata, atamayata is the fact that at, at contact, the defilements aren't allowed to arise. Atamayata means the fact that nothing can make the mind stupid. Nothing, the fact that nothing can make the mind hot. Nothing can defile the mind. This fact we call adamayata. The mind that has adamayata, nothing can, nothing can mess it up, nothing can heat it up, nothing can defile it. We call this adamayata. It's the, the highest word there is in Buddhism. Adamayata. This adamayata has the value and the meaning of, of God. This adamayata that doesn't let any defilements arise when we are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or experiencing through the mind. This not letting any defilements come up is, is adamayata. And this has the same meaning as God. This adamayata can watch over and protect us just like any god would be able to do. So this is the highest thing, the highest thing there is in Buddhism. Having a Dhammayada is like having God always watching over and protecting us. If you practice anapanasati, mindfulness with breathing, correctly and successfully, then you will have sufficient adamayada to, to watch over you, to protect you. This adamayada will keep the defilements from ever happening. They'll keep any ignorance from cooking up the defilements. And this will be like having God there all the time. So try and practice anapanasati so that you have this adamayada to protect you. Atamayata means not being stupid when there is contact, while there is feeling. And so then we don't let the contact in feeling, we don't let craving arise, we don't let upadana, grasping and clinging arise. And so there's no dukkha. This is atamayata, have it at patsa, and then everything is fine, and we're we're safe. Further, Adamayada will not allow the feelings to become positive or negative. And if the feelings aren't positive or negative, then no defilements come up. Then having Adamayada is the same as having 
mindfulness and wisdom and clear comprehension and everything we need to to control the defilements, to prevent the defilements. So whether we talk about mindfulness or wisdom, right understanding, or clear comprehension or concentration, all of these things can be developed and acquired through correctly practicing mindfulness with breathing. And then you'll have all of these things mindfulness, wisdom, clear comprehension, and concentration. Have them all in the form of atamayata, meaning that the defilements can't arise. In the time that remains, we'll talk about an outline or bird's eye view of mindfulness with breathing. Talking about the body, the feelings, the mind, and dhamma. The first stage of the practice is called Gayanu Patvana, the contemplation of body. And the essence of this contemplation of, of body is breathing correctly so that the body becomes, is calmed, calming the body, making the body very peaceful through correct breathing. This is the essence of Gayanu Patvana. In the word anapanasati, the words ana and pana come from the, the word pana, which means the breath, or in Sanskrit, the brana. Brana is an ancient Indian word that goes, goes back way before Buddhism. Brana then often just meant life. And the thing that the ancient Indians wanted most of all is to to breathe in prana, breathe in life, Bring, breathe in the life from outside so that one has plenty of life inside. So by breathing in correctly, one brings in lots of prana, and then life, one is, is fresh and cool and peaceful and alive by correct breathing. This is the way it's talked about in, in the old Indian terms. If you don't believe that way of looking at things, it doesn't matter. You can just think of it in terms of oxygen. If you bring in oxygen in the right amount in the right way, then physically life will be just right. This is, this is what the first stage of mindfulness with breathing is about. To, to understand this word prana, we'd like to, to remind you of a story in the Bible how when, when God took a bunch of dust and soil and formed it into uh, the shape of a man, and then God breathed prana into that lump of, of soil, and it became Adam and then, and then Eve. It was this, this breath of life from God that animated the, the, lump, of, the lump of clay, dust. And so... In life, if we want to have bodies that are healthy, that are capable of doing the work of life, bodies that are efficient, bodies that have the ability to do whatever we need to do, then this matter of the prana is very, very important. Knowing how to, to breathe correctly, this will give us all kinds of, make our bodies fit 
and able to do many different things. So there's a lot of importance in understanding this business of the prana and the first aspect of practicing mindfulness with breathing. In the second stage or area of anapanasati, we contemplate the feelings, the, the vetana. We take the, the best feelings that can occur, the cream of all feelings, and we, we study them. These, the, the cream of the feelings are what we call PT, satisfaction, a very excited kind of satisfaction. And then sukha, which is happiness. This is the top of the feelings, the cream of the feelings. Normally they deceive us and trick us in all kinds of ways. But if we're able through anapanasati to, to understand them so that these feelings, these best of feelings can no longer trick us, then we'll never again have any problems with any of the feelings. We don't have to, we don't have to go and worry about all possible kind of feelings. Just get these best feelings, these most attractive, most powerful, seductive feelings under control, and then none of the feelings will have any power over us. Then we know the, the nature of the feelings as well as is possible, so that they'll never again be able to deceive us in positive or in negative ways ever again. The third stage is of, of anapanasati is contemplation of mind, jitanu patana. In this we, we study all possible kinds of mind. We study all the different kinds of mind and then learn to be able to, to regulate the mind, to maintain it in whatever shape or condition we need it to be in. Through this third, third area, of mindfulness of breathing, we can regulate the mind in any condition that we wish. Then the last stage or area is Dhammanupatsana, contemplation of Dhamma, of truth, of natural truth, the truth of all nature. We study the truth of, of all natures, of all things, until we see that all, all things, we see every aspect, every level, every nook and cranny of natural truth. We, we look and see that all these, everything in nature is impermanent, constantly changing, that that constant change is unsatisfying and oppressive, and that there's, in all that, there's nothing that can be called a self. We see it's all just a process of, of conditionality, just a flow of, of, re, of actions and reactions studying this until seeing atamayata, where none of it can lead to any defilement, so that none of it can bring up any clinging, any grasping in the mind, especially grasping at anything as I, as mine, as, as self. Understanding all this is the meaning of the, the last stage of anapanasati, understanding the truth of things, until nothing has the power to, to stir up any attachment, and so that we know to, 
never it's there's nothing worth attaching to ever again so there are these four stages or areas of practice in mindfulness with breathing each of these stages is made up of four steps <coughs> so altogether there are 16 steps that's that's all there are these 16 steps if you do your best in your best in your best way to practice anapanasati on, on all levels then you'll you'll end up with the best possible thing you could ever you could ever find which is adhammayata adhammayata so that at there's no more foolishness at contact and so no more defilements come up and there's no more burning and tormenting of the mind with this through anapanasati you can get this adhammayata and then there will be no more misery no more dukkha for the mind so practice this as best you can do your best and then you'll with time you'll end up with this best possible thing so may you all be successful in your practice of anapanasati and may you all have enough atamayata to to kill satan and if everyone in the world can kill satan then there's there's no more satan in the world may we end today's lecture at this time